You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. I've got in front of me uh, two cans of Dr. Pepper, or as I like to call it, nectar from heaven. This is probably uh, one of my favorite drinks. You know, I'm from Waco, went to Waco High, went to Bather, so I have to be true to my city's beloved favorite soft drink. And I hope you know this, Dr. Pepper was founded here in 1883, which makes it the oldest soft drink in America, beating Coca-Cola, by the way, by nine years. For those of y'all who think Atlanta is the center of the universe, it is not. Dr. Pepper is the oldest drink, and again, in my humble but accurate opinion, the best soft drink that there is on the, on the market today. Okay, good. A few other Christians are here. I'm glad to, to hear you agree with that. But, but what if, right before you chugged God's favorite soft drink, um, you found out that it was actually only 50% Dr. Pepper? And the other 50% was the exact opposite of what Dr. Pepper is. I like to think that Dr. Pepper is a little slice of heaven. So the opposite of that would be a little slice of Hades. And so that would kind of be the opposite. What what if you knew that 50% and only 50% was Dr. Pepper and and the opposite or the other 50% was just the opposite of the goodness of Dr. Pepper. So whatever that might mean for you, you know, poison or, or, or mud or, or big red, like that's so disgusting, big red, whatever that might be, you know, for you, whatever the opposite of the goodness of Dr. Pepper is, would you, would you drink it? I would not. I mean, there could be some revolting, disgusting things in here. If it's only 50% Dr. Pepper, it could be something even dangerous for me to drink. There's a lot of potential of nasty in 50%. So I would not, I would not drink this. But what if I offered to you instead a a Dr. Pepper and it was 99% Dr. Pepper? I mean, I think somewhere in our rationale, especially if we were really thirsty, we'd say, well, certainly the 99% would cancel out the 1% that's not Dr. Pepper, whatever that might be. But what if I told you that 1% that was placed in this Dr. Pepper was placed there by someone who loves to steal and kill and to destroy What if I told you that that 1% was placed in this Dr. Pepper can by someone who is a liar and a murderer and seeks to devour the daughters and sons of God? If you're sleepy after a football game last night and you're thinking this preacher better be entertaining today or I'm out of here, like not leaving, but like sleeping through the rest of this time, let me give you something for those who are still exhausted from a late Saturday night that you can hold on to, I pray for this morning and for this sermon and for this week and perhaps even for this life. And here it is, 99% truth is still less than truth. And we have an enemy that would love to make us think otherwise. I'm gonna move heaven's nectar over here and then I gotta use this for the 1120 as well. This is what makes Paul in 1 Timothy so motivated to tell young Timothy, to tell the young believers in that church at Ephesus is that people there were selling lies as truth. And if you dilute truth 1% or you dilute truth 99%, it's not truth. 
And so Paul comes to, to young Timothy, this young pastor, and he is, he is telling him, these are some things that you must know. And so make sure we're on the same page here at Highland this morning. It is very rare for a Christian to fall for something that's overtly and recognizably anti-scripture, anti-Jesus, or anti-God. I'll tell you what we fall for. We fall for small, subtle skewings of truth that sound biblical, but in reality are brutal for our heart and for our spiritual condition. With your Bible, would you turn with me, please, to the book of 1 Timothy. That's where we started last week. If you weren't here last week, you're not that far behind. In fact, we just got really verse 1 and 2 last week out of chapter 1. So let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Let's go to verse 3 together this morning. 99% truth is still less than truth. And that truth motivated Paul to pass this along to Timothy. Motivates the Holy Spirit to pass it along to us today. 1 Timothy chapter 1, let's begin in, in, in verse 3. Last week, I told you, again, if you weren't here, we're going to be pitting two words against each other for the majority of this semester. Last week, we pitted the word wisdom or the words wisdom and foolishness against one another. And we said, by God's grace and the power of the Spirit, let us choose last week and for this life, wisdom over foolishness. This morning, I want us to pit these two words together, truth and foolishness. And let's choose this week and this life to live in truth over Deception, truth over a lie. First thing, First Timothy chapter one, verse verse three. As I urged you, this is Paul writing, writing to Timothy. As I urged you, parentheses Timothy, when I was going to Macedonia, I wanted you, Timothy, to remain, or I want you, Timothy, to remain at Ephesus. That's the city where where Timothy was a pastor, a young a young believer, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which just promote speculation rather than stewardship that comes from God that is by faith. So these first two verses we're gonna look at this morning, verse three and verse four, Paul, let me just tell you, doesn't randomly just bring up false teaching. There were false teachers in Ephesus. And I'll say that phrase again, people who would stand in a place of spiritual authority and they would sell a lie as truth. Uh, they were just giving these speculations, making up these things, but they said it with so much confidence that people in the church, they were so immature, so young in their faith that they were falling for the deception over the truth. And Paul knew that these young believers could so easily fall into the pit of deception. Uh, in verse three, it says here that Paul is telling Timothy to, to challenge these half-truths or even these half-truth tellers that have, it says in verse three in my translation, a different doctrine. They were these deceptions. Paul is telling Timothy, don't just walk away from that. Don't just pretend that, that, that a false gospel is not being preached, but instead, in my Bible, the words used here, go, go on a head-on charge. Now, your Bible may not use the word charge right there, and if it does not, I would say that in this specific incident, if your translation uses the word um, instruct, that's a really pansy word to use there. It's too soft. Even the NIV uses right here the word command, which is, which is much more appropriate, I think, to, to this word because the word in Greek is parangelo, parangelo. And parangelo was a military term. It was a superior telling someone of a lesser rank 
giving them a command, giving them a directive, a military term of, of a general telling, telling the, the, the private, this is what you will do. And so Paul is telling Timothy, I want you to charge head on into these half truth tellers and you charge them, you command them to stay quiet. You command them away from the church. You command them that what they were saying is, is not truth, it is deception. And some of the things that they were deceiving, you see it here in verse four, they were deceiving people with myths. Your Bible might say fables or, or fairy tales or fanciful stories or legends. These were just things that these teachers were concocting in their own mind. They were just manufacturing these things. They were making things up. They were kind of guessing at truth. It'd be like you and I after church today, uh, but going to, to the Chinese restaurant in Waco. Man, it seems like they're closing down everywhere. But you, you pop open a, a fortune cookie and, and you pull that fortune out and you receive that fortune as if it was the gospel truth. That's how skewed, that's how off these people were, these false teachers, these, these deceivers. They were standing up and delivering as if it were gospel things that were not the gospel. Let me just take a little side note because a lot of you new to Waco, been here for five days, seven days, 10 days now. As you look for a church in Waco, you find a church that has tied itself to scripture. Come on this side and say, if you've been here longer than 10 days, and for everyone really in the house today, this is why we must tether our hearts and our minds, our very lives to God's word. Because it's so easy to fall into deception. It's so easy to, to hear someone say something with great confidence and for us to say, oh, that sounds so good. This is what was happening in the times of, of Paul and Timothy and they're in the city of Ephesus and also says they were all about, verse four, uh, these endless genealogies. The people in, in Ephesus had this quirky mania about their family trees. Like they wanted to see all of their lineage. They wanted to know who they were related to. Remember when, when Ancestry.com came on the scene about a decade ago and people just kind of went bananas you know, over all that? that? That's exactly what was happening. There was this, again, this quirky mania that was happening in their Ephesus because what people were doing is they would look at their family tree and they would start reading into it all of these allegorical speculations. Oh, I come from this person. I come from this line. I come from this tribe. I come from these people. This must mean for my life that I will dot, dot, dot. I mean, they were obsessed with it as much as we are social media. They were obsessed with it as much as we are the stats of the athletes. We, they were obsessed with it as much as we are with, with celebrities today. They were just overwhelmed with this obsession with their, with their background. And the preachers, the false preachers, they were taking advantage of the emotions of the people. They were taking advantage of the, 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 the passions of the people, the, the, the habits of the people, the hobbies of the people. And we're saying, oh yes, you must go to your genealogy to see what truth is really all about. And so it continues on here in, in verse five. The aim of our charge is love. A love that issues or that comes from a pure heart, a love that comes from a good conscience, a love that comes from a sincere faith. Now, certain persons, by swerving from these things, from a sincere faith, they have wandered into vain discussions, another empty words. These false teachers, they want to be teachers of the law, but they're, they're without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make these confident assertions. Man, Paul rides in hot in verse three and four. And then in verse five, 
you see the tender heart of an old man speaking to a younger generation, saying, wait a minute, the reason I'm riding hot today, the reason I am telling Timothy to charge head on into these half-tellers, these half-truth tellers, the reason I am telling him to command the liars to shut it down and to move away is because I love you. The charge, the aim of this charge is is love. You know, sometimes it, it feels like truth is a punch. Have you noticed that we live in a culture, I mean, if you've been on Facebook once in the last 15 years, that we live in a culture that is so easily offended? I mean, we live to be offended. I mean, we want to be, just say one thing. You tell it to me, because I'm gonna be so offended, and I'm gonna tell everybody how offended I am about you. Well, I'm offended that you're offended. How about that? Well, I'm offended that you're offended that I'm offended. I mean, it can go on for forever. We are such an easily offended society today. And in that, sometimes truth feels like a punch to us. And we just want to punch back with offense. I've been so offended by this, but often truth punches us. It punches us in the flesh. It punches us right at the point of pride. That's what, what truth does. And also in a, in a culture where truth has become so relative, By that, I mean, often we think, but we do not say it, but we think, well, that's true for me. Therefore, that makes it true. See, that's relativity. That's a comparative truth. The problem with truth sometimes is that it comes in and it punches us. And it reminds us that this is not just about comparative truth and not just comparing ourselves to others. That's why some people say, you Christians are so intolerant. Because truth comes in and it really offends our senses at times. Here's what Paul is saying. The reason I'm telling you the truth is because of love. And you don't even have to know Greek to know what that word is, agape. That agape love is a love that lives for the benefit of other people. If you're note takers, you can write this down because this is what we kind of see in these four or five verses right here. The most loving thing you can tell someone is the truth. The most loving thing you can tell someone is the truth. The truth of the gospel, the truth of the character of God, the truth of the cross, the truth of heaven, the truth of hell, the truth of the full counsel of God's word. Sometimes you need to understand that the most loving thing we can do is to tell someone the truth. And I think just the opposite axiom is true as well. The most hateful thing we can do is to tell people a lie. Or the most hateful thing we can do is to tell people what they want to hear. Paul is charging into Timothy for Timothy to charge into the people saying, no, no, this comes from a place of love. I mean, I think all of us in this house, we love to hear approval. We love to hear accolades. We love to hear honors. We love to hear about our accomplishments. And on a more honest term than that, we love to give those things to others. We love to give approval to others. We love to give honors to others. We love to, to flatter others. We love to give others accolades. But what that is, is that we're giving that, 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 that half truth is devoid of full truth. You see, love without truth is, is hypocrisy. But the most truthful, excuse me, the most loving thing we can do is to tell someone the truth. Now, why is Paul saying all this? What, what, what's the big picture? Why is this so important to Paul to tell Timothy? Why is this so important for the Holy Spirit this morning in this place to give us these passages? Here, I think, is the, the overarching story I want you to see this morning. You can, again, write this down and remember this with me because believing a lie is usually pleasurable. But in the end, it just costs so much or it costs too much. Our enemy is so cunning. Our enemy is so sly 
rarely would he lie to you in such a way that you knew that it was immediately dangerous or a lie that was immediately obvious. Just the opposite. Our enemy loves to to sneak things in as if they sound biblical. Again, as if they were even 99% truth. That's so close to truth, but I'll say it once more. 99% truth is still less than truth. So this morning, let me just give you some lies that I think we have believed since somewhere around Genesis chapter one. Four lies that I think that Paul, certainly all throughout his letters would, would attack. And even this morning, maybe we would see ourselves falling for some of these deceptions. Here's the first lie that we tend to fall for all the time. You are the center of the universe. <laughs> yeah, either have to say amen or ouch, one of the two. That's a deception that we fall for, that, that we're the center, that we're it, that everything revolves around us, that it's all about us, it's all about our feelings, it's all about what other people think of us, it's all about how, how we fit in. This is a lie that we are, or you are the center of the universe. And think about it, every ad, every billboard, most every song you can listen to, every, every entertainment experience that we pay for revolves around us being the center of the universe. It's about how I feel today. It's about what you think about me right now. You are the center of the universe. Let me just say this. If you have become the center of your universe, Jesus is no longer the center of your life. You can still love him, but he is not the center of your life. He's still the center of the universe. You have just moved him away. You have displaced him as the center of your life if you think you are the center of the universe. There's a great old a preacher by the name of J. Vernon McGee. He was a, a preaching stalwart. And here's one of my favorite quotes that he said. I even put it on the screen for you. He said, this is God's universe and God does things his way. You may have a better way, but you don't have a universe. <laughs> if you have moved Jesus out of the way, you have probably put yourself at the center of your own universe. Here's the second lie you can write down and consider with me. Actions have no consequences. That lie has been around since humans have had breath. From the garden to Ephesus to Waco. Do whatever you want to do. No one will know and there'll be no consequences. You may know this because you look like a pretty smart uh, congregation I'm speaking to here at 10 o'clock this morning. The oldest billboard in history the oldest advertisement ever found in the history of the world, would you believe, was found in Ephesus in the first century AD, the exact time that Timothy is serving as a pastor to this young church in Ephesus, the exact time that Paul was writing to Timothy. And you'll see on the screen behind me what that very first billboard was that they found. It's etched into marble on the streets of Ephesus. You can go there and see it today. There's some icons on, on that marble. There's a foot, there's a woman. Below the woman is a square, it's a library. Up in the upper left-hand corner, I believe, from your vantage point, there is a heart-shaped, actually, coin purse. In other words, because the left foot is there, if you will walk down this street, you can't see it very well, but there's a little cross, not a Christian cross, but an intersection cross, right on top of that foot. If you will go down, because the left foot is drawn there, if you'll go down to the left, and you want to purchase a woman, and you want to go to a brothel and find love for pay, this is how you get here. It's on the left-hand side, 
the library, which by the way was the second largest library in the entire Roman Empire, the library of Ephesus, was on the right-hand side of the intersection. You keep going forward. If you want to pay for love from a woman, this is where you get it. And this is a reminder that since the first century, young believers, young Christians in a young church were starting to believe that actions would have no consequence because you know that was seeping into the church. Third lie, is that close enough is good enough. Close enough is good enough. I I would say to you, this is probably the most dangerous of all the lies because you can't, salvation can't just be close enough. Being rescued by Jesus can't just be close enough. But, but it's a lie that, that has been around for forever. It's the worst because it can cost you your eternity. That good enough is, is, is or close enough is, is good enough. But let me make something very complex, very simple this morning. There's only two religions in the world. One is a religion of human achievement what you try to do to get into the grace of God or what you try to do to get to God and get life from God. The second religion in the world is is divine um, achievement or is divine uh, accomplishment. And this is getting to God because of what Christ has already accomplished on the cross. That's the only two religions in the world. Almost every other major world religion, even little parts of it, is all about what a human can do. It's about that human achievement. Can I achieve toward pleasing God? Can I achieve somehow toward winning the favor, the love, the approval of God? It was what Dale talked about in the hosting time this morning, that we don't move toward that by things that we do. Instead, we are given approval by God through Christ Jesus because of his divine accomplishment on the cross. Every person in the world will fall for one of those two or find themselves in one of those two religions. Jesus, you did it for me or I'm gonna try my hardest to do it for myself. Close enough is good enough. Let me just say this, if there's some here today that you deal with doubting your salvation, you're not sure you're saved or some days you feel like you're saved and other days you don't feel like you're saved. Let me just kind of make this statement to you this morning. I put it on the, on the screen. You will doubt your salvation if it's based on your performance instead of the grace of Jesus Christ. You will constantly doubt your salvation, your rescue, your eternal life, if it's just based on your performance, what what you can do, because let's be very honest, no one in this house, none is perfect, except for Christ and his cross and his love and his grace and his mercy and his salvation is perfect. He has accomplished this for us on the cross. Here, here's the last lie that I think we tend to fall for. If it feels right, sounds right, and polls right, it is right. So, sounds about right. Yeah, it, it, in my heart, it just feels right. I was checking the polls and like America is, is shifting toward, toward this position, so it has to be right. Like if everyone else thinks it's right and and it sounds right to my ears and it kind of feels right to to my heart, it has to be right. And let me just say this in love, what a hedonistic way to live life. How self-centered of us that that is the determination of truth is what I feel and what other people are saying and how I experience it. You know, we all in life are gonna have some type of standard. 
You know, what, what, what is your standard? What, what is that measurement of truth for you? For a lot of us, it's feelings or emotions. And let me just say again, in love, feelings are real, but they're also really deceptive. And so if feelings becomes your, your standard of, of measurement, they're gonna sway back and forth with how you feel that day. Uh, what, is, what is your standard? Perhaps it's, perhaps it's the opinions of other people. I love what JP at Harris Creek says. He says this so wisely. He says, you're the average of your five closest friends. Fully agree. You know the problem though with living life on a standard based upon the opinions of your five closest friends? More than likely, all five of them are not perfect. Therefore, absolute truth is skewed if you just go by the opinions of your five closest friends. Uh, what is your standard then? What, what is the standard of measurement of what truth is or what truth truly is about? Is, is it the collective opinion of our country? I mean, that changes about every seven to eight years. And last I looked, the trajectory of this country is not godliness. So if we're just kind of leaning on everybody else and what the, the nation is saying and what, what the polls are saying, what the opinions of our, of our country is saying, it, it is not moving in a Godward direction. Maybe the other ways that we often find a standard of measurement, you know, what is truth for you? What is your standard? A lot of times people will say, even in the church, what's well, my experience? It's what I have experienced in the past. You know, the problem with that, ask a police officer. If three people have seen a crime, all three of them see three different things. We all experience everything in, in different ways. So my question this morning is, as we wrap up is this, what is your standard? What is truth? Or maybe better posed, who is truth? If your Bible's still open, and I hope that it is, would you go with me? We're still in the book of 1 Timothy. Let's go again to, to chapter six as we did last week. Go to 1 Timothy chapter six and, and look at verse three with me because Paul, he's still going on these these liars. He's still going on these half-truth tellers. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, look at verse 3 with me. We looked at verse 11 last week in 1 Timothy. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, look at verse, uh, verse 3. Paul's still going. He comes back hot again. If anyone, anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree, this is huge, with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords or connects with or leads to godliness, that person is puffed up. Now here's the effects, here's the results of listening to half-truth tellers. Here's the results of listening even to those who are gonna give you 99% truth. He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy and dissension and slander and evil suspicions and constant friction among people who are de de depraved in their mind and deprived of the truth, imagining somehow that godliness is a means to gain, meaning financial gain. So what is the truth? We see two things here and, and I'm done. First, here's what truth is. Truth always leads to godliness. Did you see that in verse, verse three? It has, it accords with or it connects with or is parallel to or it leads to godliness. So let me say this also this morning in a lot of love. If you're believing on something that does not lead you to godliness, then you're building your life on a deception. If you're believing in something that leads you away from purity, 
your foundation is deception. If you're believing in something that leads you away from truth and leads you away from integrity and leads you away from honesty, be careful because you're building your life on a deception. Because when you build your life upon the standard of God's word, it leads you, it accords with, it connects with godliness, godly behavior, living in the character of God. Here's, I think, what Paul is saying. Again, you can write this down or just consider it with me. Everything and everyone will be measured on Scripture's standard. Everything in this life and everyone in this house, our lives are measured not by with our feelings or our experiences or what other people think or the collective wisdom or in this time of age, the collective lack of wisdom in our nation. Everything in this world and everyone in this house, our lives are measured against the standard of Scripture. Some of y'all have been here for a long time know that I'm pretty much a history nerd, like capital N nerd. John Quincy Adams in 1820 was our Secretary of State before he became our sixth president. And as the Secretary of State, he stood before Congress in 1820 and said, Congress, we have a problem. How many times has that been said throughout the years? Congress, we have, we have a problem. A, a, a bushel in South Carolina is different than a bushel in New York. In fact, it's so different, it's about 68 cubic inches in difference. Then I have a, a pound weight here from Massachusetts and I have a pound weight here from Maine. The problem is the pound weight in Massachusetts is almost 12 ounces more than the pound weight of Maine. He said we need a standard by which everything can be judged. And so immediately Congress set up the Bureau of Weights and Measurements. You can go to D.C. today. It's behind glass but it'll show you exactly what an inch is, exactly what a pound is, exactly what a bushel is. Why is that? Because there had to be a standard by which everything else would be measured. Without it, our economy would collapse. Without it, the consumer confidence would be gone. You're a smart church. You know exactly where this analogy is headed. Scripture is our standard. Without it, brothers and sisters, we have no confidence as followers of Christ. Without it, the church just implodes because we don't know what truth is or who truth is. Scripture for us is that plumb line. Scripture for us is that standard of of measurement and everything in this life and everyone in this house will be measured against it. Man, preacher God, that was a lot of stuff today you just told us. Can you just kind of give me the bottom line? Like, what, what do I need to walk away with? So glad you asked. Here it is. Rightly know Scripture because it's true. Rightly know Scripture because it's truth. Read it. Love it. How about this? Study it with others. Memorize it. Here's the best thing to do with Scripture. Obey it. There's great blessing. Some of y'all are so bored with Christianity because you're not obeying God's word. You obey God's word, you're in for the adventure of a life. So rightly study God's word. It's, it's truth, but listen, Christianity is also not just a book report. Relationally, know Jesus because he is truth. This week, talk to him, listen to him, sing to him. 
And by the way, when you listen to him, have your scripture open, have your Bible open. This week, hear the Lord say to you, I love you so much that I will lay my life down that you might live. You see, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone, the cornerstone of precision for the standard of measurement by which everything and all people will be measured. Would you stand with me, please, and let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word to us today. We take it in, we digest it. Your word is our joy and our delight, and we also know that your word throws punches. It corrects us, it insults our flesh, it insults our senses, it insults our self-centeredness, but we'll take it. We wanna be fashioned into the image of Christ, who is the cornerstone of scripture, who holds up scripture, the very words of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul said, that's what truth is. So God, give us the grace now to not only rightly respond in the next few moments, but to rightly respond this week in this life. Would you give us the grace of Jesus and the power of the Spirit to choose truth over deception? It's through Christ, truth himself, that we can relate to this week. We believe and we pray. Amen.